Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So we are in the book of Hebrews, uh, learning how to be cityfied, in case you're a guest. Uh, we've become, we have become, Hebrews pictures for us, part of a city, a community. Um, and we are uh, a group of people who have experienced grace, and we've become a new society, a new humanity uh, that will last into eternity. And so we're learning how to live here on earth as citizens of this other world that God has called us into. And the last chapter of Hebrews tells us what it means to be in this city and live and operate and function here in a way that pleases him. This is a really important thing, so I want to sort of take you back to the picture of this text that connects the end of chapter 12, uh, which is this whole idea of how to please God. How do we please him? Remember we said he's a consuming fire. He is this overwhelming, holy presence, uh, a blazing furnace of holiness, now, another way to understand holiness is otherness. We looked at this for a little while where God is just completely wholly other than we are. Uh, and yet he wants to be close, personal, and intimate with us. And so we said he needs to be, God in one sense is grand enough to worship, but he's close enough to love. I had read that book a couple weeks ago, Yawning at Tiger's by Drew Dyke, and he calls God, and I love it, he says, he's the intimate stranger. Because God is different. He's mysterious. He's dangerous. Holy. Completely other than we are. And yet, uh, and so in that sense, you sort of, when you, when you see that side of God, you experience sort of the stranger danger, the stranger danger, because God is beyond us, we can't understand him, we can't manipulate him, he's grand enough to worship. On the other hand, we experience God, we say, how do, how do you experience a God like that? You know, what does it look like to live in his presence? Because he wants to be intimate with us at the same time. And we said the answer is community. This is the answer. This is the answer in the New Testament. It's about how we relate to one another. So only, only do you experience God like this. You experience God like that in, in community. That's the important connection from going chapter 12 into 13 is community. Uh, so it's only in a rich, sort of robust community that we, exp- we know God, that we know him and please him. So you can't please him or know him alone. Um, I don't know that I mentioned this last time, but it sort of was the theme of last week. Thinking through all this over the last couple of weeks, I've, I, I came to this conclusion in my life, and it's been pretty true, I think, about in my experience with other Christians as well. Uh, we've had very few, like, overwhelming God experiences over the course of our Christian lives. Um, 
but I have had many powerful experiences with God with and through other people. With and through other people, I've had more experiences with God than I can count. Alone, just a handful. And that's what the writer here is saying. You want to know God? You got to be connected to people. Now, we said last week that, uh, and, um, I showed you this first verse, because it's only three words, but it's brotherly love must continue. That's, that's our community verse. We said it's a, very, it's a very radical kind of community. It's intense. You give up your privacy. You give up your stuff. Uh, you give up your rights. Um, and you got to be close because it's a family. Philadelphia, the word Philadelphia is a family term. Brotherly love. So there's a proximity and an intimacy. You got to be close to one another and then you got to be intimate. It's, it surpasses. One level of it is here on Sunday mornings, but it surpasses this. Um, so now we're asking, what does it mean now to continue as we do? Because this theme here, this whole idea of community now is going to be an umbrella over everything that's said in the rest of the chapter. So if you're not in a healthy, rich community, not only do you not experience God, you can't even please him throughout the rest of the chapter because this is the overarching theme. So um, the rest of this chapter 13 is going to tell us a little bit about what it means uh, to live in this community. And so let's look at the next few verses. Here's how it goes. Brotherly love must continue. Then verse 2, do not neglect hospitality. Because Because through it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And those ill-treated as though you too felt their torment. So this is sort of the expansion of um, what it means to be in brotherly love. And there is this tension, and I want to show you together. Again, I apologize just for showing you Greek again, but what I wanted to show you was you can see the relationship between these two terms. You can visual, and, and, and that's what's so beautiful, but that's the reason I'm showing to you, because you can see it. You can see the connection here. There's a Philadelphia. There's a Philizenius. Okay? This is love of a brother. That's love. This is brother. This is love of a stranger. Love strangers. Do not neglect the love of strangers. So you see these two words very close together. They are emphatic because they're at the front of the sentence. And in no other book, even though these concepts are related quite a bit in the New Testament, obviously, they're put together closely here in a way that is very powerful and unlike any other place in the New Testament. So you have these two, uh, these two verbs here. Don't forget and continue. And they grow The one grows out of the other. Um, If you're not in community, if you're not in community, if you're standing out here by yourself, then everybody's a stranger. That doesn't work. 
So you got to be in community for this to be somebody strange on the outside. Do you understand that? That's the connection between these two that's really important. You got to have the community. You got to have the community in order to have somebody on the outside. So um, and this is really powerful. You must be in some kind of rich community for there to even be an outsider. You have to be in. And I read this quote, mold over it, about true community. Because in, in true community, what you have to have, in order to have true community, you've got to have this, these common values and um, uh, boundaries. And these, these boundaries in our community, we try to protect those. We love our close-knit community. And he says, true acceptance of others and the differences means means something only if someone first has a strong identity with real boundaries and cherished borders to protect. And this is what happens to us when we get in community. We love what we have and we'll do anything we can to protect it. But then he says, right after that, oh, uh, I do not want you to neglect strangers. I do not want you to forget Love of strangers. And here's the, the, the idea of this word right here, these two words. You got this love here, and then you've got this stranger. And this term alone is one of those words that, you know, when you say it, it can mean a couple of different things. By itself, it means hospitality, but it also means stranger. And so what he's saying is be hospitable to strangers. And here's even clearer um, take in a guest is, is what it means. It means to make room for. So you've got some kind of community that you have. Make room for the outsider. Make room. When I was, uh, when Gail and I had our first child, I'll never, never forget Anthony being born. It's an unforgettable experience uh, for anyone who's had children. I, I remember anticipating the birth of our second child, Eric. And I remember having the legitimate fear that I couldn't love another child the way I loved this one. Did anybody else have that fear? I had it. I had never experienced love like that before. Nothing had done anything to my heart like that before. And so the second child coming around was a different experience, a different feel. The anticipation was different. And I was very, very concerned that my heart couldn't love to that degree again. And, uh, and then Eric was born and, uh, this big fatty, (laughs) you talk about expanding your heart. (laughs) He expanded everything in our house. (laughs) And then we had two more come and now I'm known to have one of the largest hearts in all of Texas (laughs) right now. And, uh, and I remember Anthony, how Anthony responded to him and took him in. And it was, obviously, it's very special. I'll take that off so you concentrate. <laughs> and I think what God is trying to say is, what God is trying to say is, what I've given you here should expand your heart shouldn't 
constricted. It's the kind of love that once it comes in, it, it expands your heart. It doesn't shrink it. Uh, if you know my love, God says, remember Romans 5, where it says it, his love is shed abroad in our hearts. Um, you have to remember, and people in this kind of community remember, when they were the stranger. They remember when they were the stranger. When they were the outsider. Um, In fact, look at these verses right here about all of us before we came to Christ. And this is Ephesians 2. There was a time when you were without the Messiah, the Christ. You were alienated from citizenship of Israel. You weren't part of the city. And you were strangers to the covenant. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. And then, even in verse 19, a little further. So then now, you're no longer foreigners. Or the actual word strangers, zinnia, the same word. Non-citizens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Somehow you got in, but there was a time when you were the stranger. You were the outsider. Um... Can you recall a time when you were on the outside and not in, in your life, to know how scary it is to be on the outside, looking in, and wishing you could be in there? Um, I remember a time um, that really vividly stands out. I was in sixth grade, and we moved around a lot. We went to apartment to apartment. There were times we, my mom would, we, could pack a, we can pack our entire apartment at midnight and be gone uh, early in the morning because we couldn't pay the rent and end up in another apartment somewhere else in another school. And I'll never forget in sixth grade, having moved twice, found ourselves in an apartment. It, was, it had a little courtyard in the center. We were on the second floor and I remember standing outside there And I told my mother, I'm tired of making new friends. I'm looking down in the courtyard and I see this group of kids that are my age. And I know that's the group for me. I didn't have it in me to go down there again. I'm standing at the window with my mom and go, look at them, mom. And you know what the cool thing to do was back then was handstands. All these kids are doing handstands down there. I can't do a handstand. How am I going to? What is this? I'm going to have to do a, I know I'm going to have to do a handstand if I go in there. And my mom, I remember, she just left my side, went downstairs, and I watched her. And she went in there, and she's talking to those kids, and then she looks up and points at me in the window. Says, that's my son. And I said, Mom, what did you tell them? I said, they're, they're going to want to get to know you, I told them. I said, yeah. That's how I got down there. But I remember distinctly standing on the outside. Scary thing. Uh, But fundamental, fundamental to caring about the person on the outside is to never forget that you are on the outside. Uh, uh, Koenig writes this, fundamental to the building of partnerships with strangers is a community that experiences itself as the guest of God. So you're a guest. See, not only was God a stranger, you were a stranger. Two strangers met. 
And if you experience God as, if you experience community, remembering that you're just a guest of God, then you notice the guy who's on the outside. Uh, And so we're called to be these things. Let me show you, uh, see if I can find this thing. What did I do with it? It's somewhere here. I know I have it. Oh yeah, right there. So we got this, God is a consuming fire. We experience him together here. We experience him together. We know him through one another, through our interactions with one another. We'll have far more experiences with God together than we will all by ourselves. And then God says, but I want this community to be a certain kind of community. I want it to be open. And there's a huge tension here between trying to protect something that we've worked hard to attain and then being open to not only the stranger but prisoners and the mistreated. Something's got to flow from this community or it'll just sit in here and die. It'll just become something unhealthy as we'll see in just a moment. But there's the stranger and then there's the prisoners. Uh, Somebody is out here. Now I want to just say this about verse three because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. In Hebrews, they were being persecuted for their faith. And they were thinking about disbanding as a group because they didn't want to, they didn't want to suffer. Well, many of them had been imprisoned already for following Christ, and many of them have already been mistreated. And he was telling them, I know you guys have your little tight community and you're meeting and you're fine, but I just want to make sure that you experience, that you make sure you love on those people who are hurting. And so we, 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 we probably don't have a lot of this actual thing going on right now where people are imprisoned because of Christ. We're getting closer and closer to where we're going to be in big trouble for, for loving Jesus. But right now it's not a huge issue. So in this category here, this is the way I would apply this to you right now. If you're in a community, you attend a church. Maybe it's not this one. You're a guest. You need to find out the people in, your lo- in that church who are hurting, and somebody needs to be cared for by you. You need to offer your services to somebody in worse condition than you in the life of your church, or don't tell me you're in community. If you're not praying for somebody who's agonizing, if you're not walking by their side, if you're not grabbing their hands, putting your arm around them, there needs to be people in your life who are hurting and you're there for them. Or don't tell me you're in community. That's what Jesus would say. Don't tell me you're in here and you don't have that. That's all. That was my little preaching. Okay, so we're going to leave that. And we're going to deal with this guy because at the end of the day, they're, they're the outsider. They're not in. They're not in here. And so you know what it's like to be this one guy on the outside. Uh, And he says, don't neglect them. It's very easy to be in community and let it be thriving and you forget this guy out here. People feel that way sometimes when they go to churches. It's a horrible thing. Many people stay away from church because they just don't ever feel a vibe. Like if they're not already in, there's no way in. And so he says, please, when you're experiencing this great community you have, don't neglect the guy that's not in there yet. 
I know that strangers are different. We're often very suspicious of strangers. Uh, They're disruptive. We gotta slow down to catch them up. And we're not sure what we're getting with the stranger. See, in my community, I know exactly what I'm getting. Been with these people. With this guy, I have no idea what I'm getting. And when it comes in the context of community, then you're like, this guy's, if, if, if we let him in, he's gonna get a little of mine. I mean, it probably won't be enough quiche after small group. He's gonna probably take my chair, the best one. This is what happens to us in community. We get really Ridiculous. Happens to all of us. None of us are above this. So it's going to take extra work. It's going to take extra effort and energy. Um, And if you're like me, let's say you're like me and you're in this group. Man, it took everything to get you in that group. You're not really an outgoing. How many many of you would say, I'm not even an outgoing person. I'm, I'm happy to have three friends right now in this church because I'm not outgoing. I'll never meet another person, probably as long as I live. I've met my last person. There's some of you like that. I think I've met my last person, my last new person ever. And then if you're like me and you're a six on the Enneagram and you see danger everywhere, you know, worst case scenarios, if you're a little introverted and you see worst case scenarios, this guy, he's evil. (laughs) You're like, holy moly, we can't let him in. He's going to mess all this up. And so, listen, there are times you will think to yourself, and I bet it's possible for those of you who are in community and you have it, you've probably thought things like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm good just to have the connections that I have. Or I don't have room for anyone else. You ever said this? I'm, I can't, we can't make any new friends, honey. Uh, we got enough. She meets somebody, you know, my wife meets a lot of people, lots of people. And I'm going, honey, do we, how are we going to, and it's already Thursday. How are we going to, how are we going to do it, baby? And you say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with the people that think like me, act like me. Uh, it just doesn't take any effort. Because it takes a little more grace to, to invite somebody. In. Do you know God's heart for the stranger? Do you know God's heart for this person? It's amazing. Go through the Old Testament, you know, where we get, you know, the New Testament draws on the Old Testament's principle about loving your neighbor. That's where we get it. Um, But the stranger is mentioned far more times. And I want to show you two verses because you're you're just going to love it. This is what he says, first of all. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you. This is one of tons. As the native among you, you treat him like one of you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. I am your God. And you were a stranger, and I loved you. You say, what does it take to love a stranger? The first thing is to remember that you were one. You were that guy looking in. 
so powerful. Now, here's the second one. Here's the second verse that I came across because I just started hunting through them. Listen to this. If your brother becomes poor and can't maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were, look at that, a stranger. Treat him like a stranger and let him live with you. You're like, that's incredible. You got somebody, you, you, got, you got a family member who's going through a hard time? This is how I want you to treat him. Like a stranger, because that's how good we treat strangers. Isn't that amazing? In other words, God is saying, if I can go back to our picture here, let's go back to this one. I don't want you to just think about the people you know and love and the ones who can help you. Community gets really, really sad. And weird if it's not open to, to, to something else, to others. Um, we're very good at loving the people who can do something for us. And probably, I bet you haven't really maybe assessed how many times you move toward people you know can do things for you. God says, that's not what I'm after. You just thinking about what's in it for you. That's devastating to community. You can't really even have community like that because that is incredibly self-centered community. Community is all about others. But if you take the risk, if you'll take the risk, um, very often you get more than you bargained for. All of us have had this happen to us. You get blessed by somebody you never expected to get blessed by. And according to the writer of Hebrews, this is how angels actually come into your life. Ever said, you know, I could use an angel today. He's probably standing outside your favorite community. In other words, he's saying, you're not going to find him in there. You don't find angels when you're looking for them. You find them when you're not looking for them. And they surprise you. That's how angels are. They're sneaky little things. They sneak up on you. They don't come the normal way. And so he says in 13, what does he say right here? Don't neglect loving strangers because some have entertained angels without knowing it. If you're looking for angels, if you're looking for, for it, then almost never works that way. People who experience God in community and they know him and how he works, these people, these people, they never put it past God to show up at the door in some weird way through some person. And isn't it amazing that God is already announcing here in this verse, one of my favorite things about it, that hey, if you want to see us, if you want a God surprise, you want a divine surprise, you're wondering where I'm at and how to get to me? 
include somebody who's not part. And I bring little surprises through that person. It's a powerful thought because it just reinforces how we experience God. It's through each other. And you don't want to limit what God can do by saying you can't come in because by allowing him in, God shows up in a whole new, unique way. Do you see, do you see that? So everyone sort of alludes to when they bring up the angels there to Genesis 18 when Abraham entertains three people, look like people, they end up being angels. Actually, they end up representing the presence of God. Somehow, these three people, I've done a lot of reading on it, still can't explain how, but the three of them together represent the people represent the presence of God. And Abraham, if you read Genesis 18, 1 to uh, like 6, you're going to see him just go overboard serving these guests that he doesn't know who they are. But they bring an incredible message. They bring the message of the gospel. They say to Abraham, I know you're stuck, you're barren, you're not going to have children, you're too old. They bring the message that Sarah's going to have a child. And so what happened is, is the image of it is that they're kind of stuck. They've just sort of accepted barrenness as the norm. And God shows up in their life and does incredible things, impossible things. Because they're willing to, you learn God is big and powerful and sneaky and unconventional when you do this. I came across this quote, this is amazing that I came, I don't know how I came across this in my reading this summer. I've saved it for this very moment right here. This guy's named Parker Palmer, okay? Never heard of him before. This is what he says. The role of the stranger in our lives is vital in the context of Christian faith. For the God of faith is one who continually speaks truth afresh, who continually makes all things new. God persistently challenges conventional truth and regularly upsets the world's way of looking at things. It's no accident that this God is so often represented by the stranger. For the truth that God speaks in our very lives or in our lives is very strange indeed. Where the world seems, sees impossibility, God sees potential. Where the world sees comfort, God sees idolatry. Where the world sees insecurity, God sees occasions for faith. Where the world sees death, God proclaims, proclaims life. God uses the stranger to shake us from our conventional points of view, to remove the scales of worldly assumptions from our eyes. And then this line, you gotta meditate on it, because I've been doing it, you gotta meditate on it for a while. God is a stranger to us, he says. And it is at the risk of missing God's truth that we domesticate God and reduce God to the role of a familiar friend. You can actually make your community here, which is a godly thing, too familiar. It's too common. And you never let God in another way. If it is true that you know God and experience God through people, who are you shutting out? Who won't you connect with? Now you want to get you want this to get even crazier? Look at this comparison. One of the commentaries that I read on Lane 
he did this. And I'm going to tell you, I haven't been able to get this out of my head. Look at this. This is a comparison of Hebrews 13, 2 and 3 with Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a big judgment text where at the end of time, God is going to separate those who are his children and those who aren't. The ones who are his children are sheep. The ones who aren't his are goats. And he's going to separate them. And the ones who are goats are going to say, hey, hey, why, wait, 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 why, why aren't we getting in? Remember the whole story about Jesus said, well, you didn't, you didn't care for strangers. You didn't care for people. You didn't give out water. You didn't care for the needy. And he tells them in a way that he says, you didn't do this for me. You didn't treat me this way. And they were like, when did we ever see you needy or thirsty or unclothed? And remember what Jesus says? If you did it for the stranger, if you did it for them, you did it unto me. Look at this. Don't neglect hospitality to strangers. Remember what Jesus says to them? Well, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Remember those who were in prison. Remember those who were mistreated. I was in prison, you came to me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. The other group over there looks over there and says, well, wait a minute, we, we didn't ever see you that way. As, the, as you did it to others, you did it to me. As you did it to other brothers and sisters, you did it to me. The strangers in this text here, as well as the ones in Hebrews, are in the community already. They'll walk through the front door for the first time on a Sunday morning. Might have some in here today. Or they'll be invited to your small group or Dave will put them in your small group. Because Dave doesn't care about anything. He'll just stick them right in there. He'll stick them right in there. And you know, your group gets messy and disruptive and you got to change houses and you got to make more, uh, you got to buy more chips. All that kind of stuff. Jesus says, I'm the, does it get, Any more scary than that reality right there? Jesus says, oh, by the way, that's me. And at the end of time, when we're going to judge it all, that's what I'm going to judge you on. That's what the fire will consume. Let's see what burns up about how you treat the outsider. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming. So my application to you this morning, just real quickly, let me say a couple things to you. Because this is difficult, and I will wholeheartedly admit to you today that this is not easy for me either. Now, I'm a pastor, and I get to stand out there, so I meet a lot of the first-timers. And one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday morning, even though I'm not the most outgoing person in the world, I love meeting the people that show up here for the first time. And I especially love the ones that walk in by themselves with no one with them. Do you know how hard that is to do? Have you, a churchgoer, attended another church recently and seen the weirdness of that? Churches are the weirdest places in the world to attend if you're not part of it. And the people in it can make it even weirder if they're not careful. And so what happens is, uh, you're you're in one of two groups. Let's apply this very simply. You're either in the community now and you say, I have enough, and the stranger's outside. Or you're the stranger looking in and the community looks strange to you. You could be the guy looking on the inside and go, those people look strange. 
or you could be in the group and look outside and see this thing as the stranger. Somehow we got to get them to meet in the middle. Because if you're on the outside, you've got to somehow find a way into that community because it's the way to experience God. But you sit in the back and you're not very outgoing and you had a friend, you know, four decades ago, but not anymore. You know, and so every, all the people that have to be around you now are miserable because you have no one else to talk to. That person has to figure out how to get into that community. And he's going to have to fight for it. He's going to have to fight himself to get into that community. And God help us if that community isn't receptive. This guy's mustering everything he can to walk through the doors, to, to attend a group he hasn't been a part of. He knows he's the outsider. And so if you're the person who says, I don't know anyone, let me just tell you, even in the life of this church as a pastor, I, I meet people for the very first time almost every week. And it's one of my favorite things. Sometimes I attend a group, somebody will invite me to something that's going on in the life of this church, and I don't know the people that are in it. And they go to this church, and I don't know them. It's, it's nerve-wracking. So I might know one, and then five others I don't know. Happens, it happens quite often. When we went to India last year, uh, there was a handful of people I knew and there was a handful of people I didn't know. And I knew we were going to be in close quarters and now we're going to get to know each other and sort of that anxiety about now I've got to really connect with some other people. I've got to expand my heart. I've got to open it up to some other people and get to know them. It was phenomenal who I got to know. Do you know I didn't really know Chris? Does anyone scream stranger danger more than Chris? I don't think there's another person in this church who screams stranger danger more than Chris. And yet you can see his heart is so tender. He's such a big teddy bear. And, and after meeting and getting to know him there, he's decided that he's willing to, to be the point man for, for our India mission. And if I'd have looked at him when, he, you know, when we got on the plane, I said, oh, God, what are we going to do? It's going to be tight quarters everywhere. And look at him. It's just amazing what God has done. You've you got to let new people in. Don't be afraid of the new. Uh, you got to enter into that community. Now, if you're on the other side and you're already connected, some of you are already connected, and your eyes don't even roam, they don't even notice strangers outside doors. Because when you walk in, you know where to go, you know who to see, and you get, go right to the people who know you, love you, think like you, act like you. It's a temptation of every one of us. And yet there are people that will walk in that door for the very first time and they're sitting around you right now. Some of them are alone. Some of them are as a family. And you're like, oh, please, ask yourself this question. As a member of this church, as a person who attends this church, uh, how good of a job do you think I do making other people feel like they could be connected here? Just in the way I carry myself around here. Listen, if Jesus is the person walking through that door, then he ought to catch your eye. And I think it ought, I think it would be great if every single one of us, on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, shook hands with somebody we did not know. Because you might 
you might get a surprise and get an angel. You hadn't? Um, I'll just, I'll close with this. I came across uh, this image. And I hadn't thought about it this way until this particular writer uh, brought it up. Because he, he was talking about the complexity of our hearts in it when it comes to community and how tempting it is. We, we say about ourselves, I'll bet most people in this room would say, I'm open to strangers, and you're not. <laughs> we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt on that whole idea. We say, well, 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 sure, I'll accept somebody. But you really don't apply any effort to do it. It's ridiculous, but we do that. So our hearts are complex. We think we have a wide embrace, but at the end of the day, we huddle in fear of the stranger. And he brought up something I hadn't thought about. He says, we see a powerful image of this, of the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, after he dies, before and even after the resurrection, they are huddled, remember in John 20, in a room and they lock the doors. They're huddled together in fear behind locked doors. They're frightened by what had happened to Jesus in his death. They retreat to a room. They lock the door against the outside, huddled together in fear. And he says there's a great irony in this image. I thought this was interesting. While they're in that room so huddled in fear of what was on the outside, they were not really in community with one another at all. Nor was there much life-giving flowing out of them, he says. They were just a group of frightened persons ganging up against the world, consoling one another with their fragility, within their fragility, but nothing life-giving flew out of them or flowed out of them. And then he says, until Pentecost happened. Until in Acts 2 when the Spirit came down, They receive the spirit, they unbolt the doors, they throw them open, burst out of these narrow confines, ablaze with a new fire and courage. Their narrowness and fear give way to inclusivity that enables them to speak all the languages of the world. Now we can be intimidated by ethnicity, different language, different beliefs, different backgrounds. The stranger can be very suspicious. But when the Spirit of God hit those people, it didn't matter who came from where. Do you know how to make room? Because that's what the writer's saying. You get into that community, you get tight. You get as tight as you can with a close community. And then you do everything you can to make room for somebody else. Isn't that a beautiful image? You get as tight as you can. And then you make room for somebody. I don't know what that means it looks like in your life. It may mean that you take somebody to lunch today you don't know. It may mean that you see somebody that needs help and you don't know who they are, but you're going to reach out. You're going to, something's going to flow out of you to somebody else that you don't even know, that can't do anything back for you, that you can't expect anything in return. Because that's when you meet angels. That's when you meet angels. Uh... Last thing I'll say is this. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus, remember this verse? This is the last thing. 
Jesus said, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice, I'd love to come in. And this is Jesus, the stranger on the outside, wanting to come into your house. And I wonder, maybe there's somebody who doesn't even know Christ. And I will tell you that, of course, of all the people you're ever going to meet, the only one of the strangers, the strangest person you'll ever meet, will change your life in a way you can't even imagine if you'll let him in. And then once you let that stranger in, it'll expand your heart. And you'll be able to let other strangers in. Nobody lets Jesus in and then shuts down. Because he won't let that happen. Let's bow our heads. Father, today... You're saying something to us with this text. I know it has spoken to me in powerful ways. I pray it speaks to this congregation as a whole. I pray it speaks to us as individuals. I pray it speaks to us as as small communities within this big community. That we learn how to be tight with one another and yet open to others. In Jesus' name, amen.